Intellectual stimulations by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. We're coming to you live from Times Square, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My guest today is one of the most influential talk show hosts, in my opinion, from the 90s. Um, you might have um, seen him on his own show, The Richard Bay Show. You might remember him from Nine Broadcast Plaza or people are talking. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the one and only Richard Bay. Richard Bay, how you doing? <laughs> what an intro, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for my bad game show host voice, but, you know, I definitely have to introduce you that way. Uh, I guess maybe I should be at the Museum of Broadcasting after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so what you been... But, but, but actually, it was, it was that show that, uh, you know, that did open the door for... Uh, a whole flood of other shows that were like it, and to some degree, uh, it had an influence on on reality television. I mean, it's I don't know whether to be proud of that or not. <laughs> Whatever it is, it did have an influence on all of that. Yes, you 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 definitely should be proud of that because you know you was definitely the pioneer and the you know the originator of. Um, first of all, like, let me just get started from, I guess, Nine Broadcast Plaza, where you started off. You started off your show as pretty serious. It was like a really serious talk show. And, you well, know, actually, people are talking. I yeah, people are talking. People are talking. Yeah. In, uh, I, my first job was actually at WCBS Channel 2 in New York. I did a show called Two on the Town, which was um, every week. Um, there were two uh, co-hosts, myself and the young lady, and we would do all sorts of fantasy things. I went to Yankee training camp with Bucky Dent. I got to sing at the Ritz with Gary U.S. Bonds. We got to stay in the most um, uh, expensive hotel room in New York overnight and then talk about it. So it was sort of like a, it was a once-a-week magazine show where we do fantasy New York things. And then after that, I went to Philly. I replaced Maury Povich on Channel 3 in Philadelphia on a show called People Are Talking, which was a live one-hour morning talk show. And it, was, it turned out to be a terrific show. And uh, because it was live and because you got to actually you know, sit and interview a guest for an hour, um, uh, it was a great experience. And eventually I came to New York and I did a, a, a similar show here called People Are Talking, which was also live. And if it was in the newspapers, if it was in the uh, uh, post of the Daily News, we, we generally had that guest on the air. We, you know, Al Sharpton was on almost constantly back in those days, some days with, you know, a good story and some days with the stories that were not so good. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I interviewed Steven Spielberg for an hour and Sammy Davis Jr. and uh, Rudolph Giuliani at Koch, all for an hour live. Um, um, it, it, it was just great, and some of those, you know, interviews. I, I actually that those are the shows that I'm most proud of. Uh, although the Richard Bay show, I'm not ashamed of it, but uh, uh, you know, it was a, kind of a silly kind of a show. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll say, but before yeah. before when we jump to the Richard Bay show, I just want to. So um, to, um, catch up on that because you did a lot of interviews. Was it hard doing interviews with big time celebrities like that, or did you feel comfortable at first? Uh, well, at first, you know, the first time I was on live television, yeah, uh, I guess was when I was at WCBS. I, I I had like three lines to say from Radio City Music Hall. It was one of their anniversaries. I don't know, the fiftieth or the fortieth anniversary, whatever, and. You know, they kept telling me, are you going to come on the air? You have these three lines to say, and it's going to be live. And, in your, and even though I was an actor originally, I thought, oh, my God, you know, if you screw up these few seconds, and my heart was beating. But after a while, you know, when you're on television, you don't think about it. It's like, you know, an airline pilot who is 30,000 feet in the air, and he's got 300 people's lives that are in his hands, you know, in the back. Um, he, you know, he doesn't think about it for him. It's like driving a car, you know? Yeah. And the same thing is true about television. When you do it every single day, you don't even think about it after a while. I mean, there were uh, Jimmy Carter, Steven Spielberg, and Sammy Davis Jr. were three interviews where before they began, I went, oh my God, I can't believe that 
I am sitting here, and I'm the one that's in control interviewing them. But uh, you know, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared. You just have to, you know, trust yourself and make contact with another human being. And also, I think to ask questions that make the person think, so that you know they can't give you. They do hundreds of interviews, so they have road answers. So if you can think of questions that they haven't been asked that make them actually have to go through a process uh, in coming up with an answer, you really discover things about people. You discover how they work, you know, how they, how their system of logic works, you know, the things they find that are important in their lives. Uh, um, and, and you really get to know something about that person. So, yeah, I, I loved doing that. And, uh, and then after a while, everybody was doing that and was trying to do that, too. There was a flood of talk shows, and they were all doing, you know, originally Maury, Jerry, um, oh, Sally. Mm-hmm. You know, they were all fairly serious shows. They didn't they didn't turn into, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, my baby's, my baby's daddy, where is he, you know, <laughs> until, um, until after the Richard Bay show, you know, yeah. when... And that's one reason why we sort of went in that direction. We went into, uh, uh, you know, what I would say is a satirical game show format, using people's lives in a format that, you know, that turns them into some kind of a game show. Yeah. Uh, you know, for it's like that we had the Wheel of Torture, we had this big butt contest, and we had... Uh, sort of incorporated into the talk show, right? Because sometimes you... Yeah. You know... Yeah, not great, not great acting. But, <laughs> you know, I went, I, went to, I went to Yale Drama School with Meryl Streep and Sigourney Weaver, and uh, I played Hamlet uh, back in my 20s. I was in Twelfth Night. I did a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of new uh, playwrights. So this was kind of far <laughs> afield from that. I was more uh, like uh, vaudeville, Benny Hill, or something like that in my... But the, but the fun thing was, was that for the first couple of years, uh, the Richard Bay show was live. So anything could happen. And also, the audience. The audience was like a character. I mean, you know, I would go out before the show and I'd shake everybody's hand, every single person before they came in. But I was also scouting for the characters. Who could I use here, you know? Who has, who, you know, who has a, a, a very idiosyncratic way of expressing themselves or is dressed a certain way? Or, and the audience became part of the show, too. You know, it, the fact that it was live, that we had a live audience in there, and the fact that every day the show would surprise me. I never knew what was going to happen there. Yeah. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't formulaic. Yeah, but... So, yeah, but even even when it first started off, even from Night Broadcast Plaza, it was serious. But how did it get to the tone that you know that you know that everybody started to pattern their their show after? Even like from Jerry Springer, like how did it get to like you know the Mister Puny verse and everything? How did that tone started coming about? Well, <clears throat> the original seed for everything, I think, we had a, a producer on the show who had just been married. Okay, and. You know, and this was when we were doing celebrity interviews, news stories, um, you know, uh, things that were more substantial, let's say. So we, we had a hole in our calendar. You know, somebody dropped out. We didn't have anything to do there. And this producer said, oh, you know, I just got married and the adjustment is just incredible. Uh, you know, you've lived by yourself, you got to get used to the other person's their smell, their socks are around in your bathroom you're sharing with them. 
goes, why don't we do a, a show about newlyweds and the adjustments and then play a sort of crazier newlywed game afterwards? So I made the sort of like finger in the mouth, throw up kind of thing, like, oh, God, this doesn't interest me at all. Mm. But we had no show. So we got newlywed couples, we did this show, and then we played this newlywed, we called it the newlywedded game, which was very similar to the newlywed game. And the next day, we got a 25 share, which is like an incredible rating. And I looked at the, the producer and I said, I can't believe this. But people actually wanted to watch the true stories and then see them get some entertainment in watching the games. So from there, we went on and we started to, you know, use real people, at, you know, as reality television does, uh, and create a game show out of out of their real life uh, stories, you know. So, so you know, it, it's it, we, we you know we did lots of we had the the, um, the last OJ show you've never you never will see where I had black people who thought he was guilty against white people who thought he was innocent, which is the exact opposite of what the media was telling you. And then they played the O.J. Simpson feud against each other to see who knew more about O.J. than the other one. And and then I, I'd read about um, the Miss America pageant where there was some story about a woman in one Miss America. They used tape to tape up their butts when they're wearing the swimsuit so they don't have a saggy butt. And, I, and then I heard them say, this is a scholarship pageant. And I was going, oh, oh, really? We have to call the Miss America pageant now a scholarship pageant, but we're looking at her butt, right? <laughs> so I said, if it's a scholarship pageant, how come there are no women here who have big butts? I said, uh, uh, are you saying women with big butts aren't smart or shouldn't be educated like a woman with tiny, pert little um, derrieres, you know, that are taped up? So that would be the idea. Let's have a contest. Let's have a, you know, the Miss America pageant has, you know, the swimsuit competition. Let's do a, let's do a contest for the woman with the biggest butt and celebrate her. So that's you know, where that came from. So every little thing, you know, usually it came from the hypocrisy of daytime talk shows, you know. Yeah. That, you know, we're supposed to solve every, you know, we start off and they're crying and they, you know, have a problem and then you bring on the psychiatrist and they solve the problem. <laughs> the doctor Phil. Yeah. Oh, we're all better now. Thank you. You know, it, it was so much bullshit. Yeah. Everybody was like upper middle class, 
my show. I did the, the management came down and said, oh, you can't wear jeans on the show. I said, everybody wears jeans. Why can't I wear jeans? You know? And, you know, they wanted me to wear a suit and a tie. And I said, ah, listen, why can't I wear the clothes that I would wear as a human being? You know, why do I have to create an image, uh, you know, that isn't me? And I said, and then, and then we started to get, you know, all the people in the audience who were like real people. I always said, where do you find these people? But where do you find them? You find them on every street corner. <laughs> yeah, normal people, normal people, and then that's normal your that's, that's your call too. Where do they find these people? <laughs> that was the slogan. Yeah, am I talking too much for you? No, no, no. You're you're richer. You're fine. You're giving me a lot of knowledge, man. Keep going. Keep going. No, no, no. You can ask me tough questions or any question you want. So. No, all right. Well, let me just ask you this. Um, how did you feel since you know you pretty much was the you know the precursor to you know the Jerry Springers and all that? Did you feel yeah. like you didn't get like acknowledgement or any credit because you know it was on your show pretty uh, much first? Not, you know what? The, the people who watch the show, I get it all the time from people that. Um, you know, they say to me, oh, you were the first one. You, you know, they should be paying you, you know, residuals. They stole everything. So the people on the street know it. But, but uh, who cares? It's not like I'm Picasso and <laughs> somebody stole my painting or, or Hemingway and somebody plagiarized my book, you know? Yeah. You know, with a TV show, you know? And TV is always... Um, it's always building on something that came before, plagiarizing or, you know, that that's the way TV works. So, you know, listen, I, would I love to have the $100 million that Jerry Springer has? Yeah, but you want to know something? I wouldn't want to, you know, the show was on for five years. After five years, we had done just about everything you could possibly do. When I look at Marley, um, and every day it's the same show. Yes. The DNA test says you're, you know, you're not the father. Yay! Yeah. He's, he's the daddy. He's the daddy. I mean, <laughs> it's the same thing every day. It's like Groundhog Day. I know. But people watch it. You'd be surprised. Those ratings go up all the time, and it's the same episode. Like, I know. How can anybody watch the same yeah. thing? Why don't you just make one show and hear it over and over again, you know? Exactly, exactly. And the thing is, they'll have sequels because the same guests will come back and do the same DNA test, and, like, this is the fifth baby daddy, and he's not the father. She cries, runs down the hallway, and then, you know, they'll do the show all over again. It's the same it's shit. the same yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's crazy what what you know what what's you know how the talk show circuit came around because it was basically you Jerry Springer like you said Jenny Jones Ricky Lake um Jane Pratt I remember at one time um oh but by the time we got syndicated there was there was the second tier yeah you had Tempest Bledsoe Danny Bonaducci yeah. Charles Perez yeah. um who else am I leaving out oh, oh my gosh, there was Charles Perez. What? I totally forgot about Charles Perez. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, Charles Perez, they would do it. And not only that, they would steal even our guests. Yeah. You know, we would, we would find these, you know, very outspoken, idiosyncratic guests, and then a month later they'd end up on Jerry or on Charles Perez. Yeah. And then Charles Perez, you know, became a, uh, a news anchor in Miami, actually. But the worst thing that happened was Jenny Jones, she had, and, and this was so unfair, she did that show, um, you know, Secret Crushes, and the guy came on and oh, said, yeah, he that's the, right, yeah, yeah, go ahead, tell, tell the story, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jenny Jones murder, he came on and he said he was gay, and he had a secret crush on this other guy, and then the guy got a gun after the show and shot him, and, uh, and it was called the Jenny Jones murder, and she had to go to, you know, it, it was just really unfair. Because what, for somebody to say that somebody's gay and they then they're attracted to you and then go off and murder them, that's not Jenny Jones's fault. And that, yeah. that, that could, it could, it could, you know, 
it was on TV, but one of them was a, a fat girl, and that was embarrassing. Or, I mean, the guy was obviously, you know, if anything, the only thing you can blame them for is the fact that not everybody should be on television. You know, some people can't take it. Yeah. And children, I mean, there was sometimes I had to stop the show, and we, you never got to see it because I said, I'm not doing this. I mean, we did a show um, that, that the producers had booked where they had 12-year-old girls telling their mothers that they want to have sex. Oh. And, and it's been done, believe me. It's been done by yeah. mother's own. So this, they're 12, 13, 14, whatever. So this 12-year-old girl is there, and she's telling her mother that her friend has sex and that she's going to have sex. And, you know, they've been, the producers usually just, you know, try to stoke them up so that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be, uh, you know, ready for air, as they say. Yeah. And so I said to this 12-year-old girl, I said, you know, this is, your friends are all going to see this on television. How do you feel when you go back to school and all your friends to hear you say this, you know, in public. She goes, wait, they're going to see this? And I said, yeah, it's a TV show and it's going to be on television and they they might see it if they're watching the show. She goes, oh my God. Oh my God, all the kids in school are going to hear what I said? And I said, yeah, they will. And the girl turns to her mother goes, mommy, mommy, I promise I'll be a virgin until I'm married. I promise, I promise. And I said, all right, Stopped it. And I went into the control room. I said, look, this girl is 12 years old. She doesn't know what she's doing. And they said, well, the mother brought her here. The mother gave her. I said, well, then the mother's wrong. And they said, yeah, but the mother, they went out there and the mother said, yes, yeah, she wanted to continue with the show. And I said, I don't care what the mother says. I'm not doing this. That girl's 12 years old. And she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't know what she's gotten herself into. So we then finished the show. And I went out and I apologized to both of them for coming all that way. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry. But I said, and then I went back in and I said, nobody gets on this show unless they're over 16 from now on. You know? Yeah. They're children. Yeah. You know, you, you... That wasn't the only time. There were other people. You kind of know, listen. People have said, oh, you're exploiting, uh, you know, these people. That was an exploit. It was a pretty tough crew, as you, you know. These, yeah. were, these were New Yorkers, you know? Yeah. People people could definitely <laughs> see it on YouTube, too. You know, they could definitely see it. Well, the, another thing that's interesting about this era is that Joe Lieberman, uh, I think it was Sam Nunn and uh, Bill Bennett, who had been the education Secretary of Education, uh, maybe under Reagan or under Bush. Anyway, they all got together. We had this big thing with talk shows are destroying American society and culture. And so you had senators actually coming out telling the advertisers to stop advertising on these shows. And they had a list. They had 10. I was on the list. Ricky, Maury. Jerry, uh, and and I, I mean this, this it's crazy when you think about it now. But you had people in government who were trying to get these shows taken off the air, and now it's a prime time, you know. Yeah. But at the time, this became in the fifties. They had a crusade against comic books. Um, you know that they were destroying America's youth. Yeah, yeah. In the late nineties, there was this big. Thing, especially after the Jenny Jones, uh, you know, murder, as they called it, you know, these talk shows have gone too far, you know, they're, they're you know, and, I, and, and at that time you had some people who would say, oh, you're destroying American culture, and I would go, what's, in fact, at one point, you know, when the show was over, uh, I was in Los Angeles in a, um, in an agent's office, and, he was, and I walked in, and this receptionist told me how much she loved the show, and the intern who took me into the office told me, oh, my God, I'm such a big fan. And the valet Parker, when I parked my car there, came out and said, oh, Richard, Bay, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And I went and saw the agent, and the agent said to me, oh, tell me about your show. It's the, you know, we used to watch it every day here. Everybody would run to the TV when it was on. And then at the end, he said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yeah, would you like to represent me? 
and he said, I don't think anybody will ever give you a job on television again. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? And why is that? And he went, well, uh, uh, and I said, because I lowered the standards of television. And he said, that's right, you lowered the standards of television. And this was Carmen Electra's agent. <laughs> so I started laughing. So, you know, when I come in, you know, he was being congratulated because he had signed a free project deal for Karma Electric. So I started laughing and he said, oh, please, I don't mean to upset you. I'm just trying to, I said, you're not upsetting me. I said, you're Karma Electric's agent and you're telling me I lowered the standards for television. <laughs> You know how they do these unauthorized stories, a lifetime of like the Saved by the Bell. They, yeah, should, have a, yeah. they should have one of the Richard Bay show. I would love to see the, 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 the behind the scenes gossip and everything. <laughs> well, there there were quite a few stories that that, that, that could be told there, but I, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Gotcha, gotcha. But a lot of people went on who did that show. For big jobs. Um, um, Andy went on, he's the producer of Ellen, the executive producer. Yeah. Dusty is the executive producer of The View. So, you know, they didn't, they didn't get hurt for lowering the standards. They got rewarded. But there were other people, too, who went on and uh, got pretty, you know, pretty good jobs in broadcasting. With a pretty, and they were great, they're very talented people and they deserve it. Yeah, I know. What was the reason for the cancellation? I know there was articles out there that you said the reason it got canceled was the whole Jennifer Flowers situation. Was that really true for that situation? Yep. Yeah? Yep. Um, what happened was they, uh, um, Chris Crafts uh, is a company. They're really known for boats. But they had bought the station. Excuse me, I'm just Pasta. No, not a, not a problem. So they, they had bought the station and they wanted uh, to sell it, which they eventually did. They sold it to Fox. Yeah. Um, and they were worried that all the senators were coming down on my show as well as Ricky and Charles Perez and Jerry and everybody. Yeah. So they were upset about that and they said, um, can't you... We want you to do different things on the show, you know. Uh, move away from the things that are getting everybody upset. So I started to think, all right, I'll do some shows, but I, I want to do things that people don't see on television anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So I did one show we did um, when Rosie came on. Rosie was supposed to be the queen of nice. That was her headline when she came on, that she was the antidote to all of us nasty people doing these other talk shows. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny because Rosie is not a very nice person, as we eventually discovered, yeah. you know. Uh, um, but she was being packaged as the queen of night. I think next week or time, that was the headline for her. So I did a show where I was Richie. I did the Richie show yeah. where I was the king of nice and I had a baby just like she did or Kathy Lee, but it was really just a, a doll and I would throw it in the crib and throw pizza in there and, <laughs> you know, and do a, 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 a you know, a satire of, of the kind of hypocritical thing she was doing. Yeah. And we did something like the, the, the bong show, which was the take up on the gong show. Um, and then I said, you know, it's funny. It's right. It was right before the election. I said, Oh, I picked up the trade papers, and I saw that um, there was a woman who said Sally Hayes, who claimed to have had a long relationship with Bill Clinton back in Arkansas, and she was booked on Sally Jesse Raphael. On the day she showed up, they told her, oh, we changed the topic, you can go home. And then there was another woman 
into the office of the, you know one of the management people, and she says, "We're going, we're we're going out of production starting today." Wow. And I said, "Was this because of the Jennifer Flowers show?" And she just didn't answer. And I said, "You just picked up my contract. You know, every year you have they have the opportunity to." you know, to cut your contract or pick it up. And my contract, which was for almost a million dollars, was picked up September 1st. Mm-hmm. This was October 13th or 14th. So I'd only worked for a month and a half. And I said, you just picked up my contract. And she said, you'll be paid every week. Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, it didn't sound like a bad deal to me. <laughs> <laughs> I got paid for 11 months, an incredible amount of money that I couldn't possibly even spend. I sent my parents on a yacht trip around the Mediterranean. I bought them another trip. My mother wanted to go see where the sound of music was. They sailed down the Danube. I bought a computer system from my brother. I mean, and I, I took my girlfriend to the south of France. You know, it's incredible to look at a paycheck and say, you know, wow! And in two weeks, I could buy a nice car. <laughs> you know, yeah. and not that I didn't blow it all, but because I did, but I don't regret it. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, that's what happened with the Richard Bay show and. Jennifer Flowers. Now, can I, I never said, the New York Post ran a headline, Bill Clinton canceled my show. Bill Clinton didn't cancel my show. But, that's the story. You know? I don't think you have to make great leaps to think somebody made a phone call, said, you know, listen, they wanted to sell the station, you gotta get FCC approval, you know, you have to be nice with the government, this is before an election. Nobody's talking. But they've kept Jennifer Flowers off of everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what I believe. You know, it, it may not be enough evidence for some people, but it's the very next day after it aired. Then, yeah, then, I don't get the coincidence. Yeah, but I'm saying, but... And that, they had just picked up my contract, yeah. Well, I'm saying, but didn't she do any... Was she ever in Inside Edition or anything? Or this was probably, like, later on after? Because I, I remember, like, seeing her all over the, the, the tube. Oh, know? it was Monica. See, this is before Monica. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this is, what, 96, I guess? Yeah, 96, yeah. You know, Lewinsky didn't come around, I guess, till what, 98? Mm-hmm. A year and a half later. 97, it started to percolate, you know? Yeah. And then on the other side, I went to work in, because, as the agents had said, we will let you work on television again. So I said, how about cable? And he said, no, I don't think cable. I said, what about radio? He said, yeah, I think maybe you could get a job on radio. So then I got a job on radio, and I was on WABC. And there, the opposite thing happened. All this bullshit about the weapons of mass destruction, the atom bomb, the Saddam Saddam bomb, the Atta in Prague, and it was all BS, and it was knowable that it was BS at the time. All you had to do was dig a little bit under the research, and you could find some of it was just completely fabricated. Some of it was doubtful. Um, others of it was, you know, they, they took a kernel of truth and hyped it into this thing. So I was on ABC Radio where I was on right after Rush and Sean. And every day I would knock down all this BS that they were saying, uh, you know, about Saddam Hussein and the weapon. Not that he was a nice guy, but yeah. if, you, if, you, if you want to go over to get rid of all the bad guys in the world, uh, there's, a, there's a list. Uh, he wasn't a danger to the United States. He didn't have WMD. He didn't have an atom bomb. He didn't have a program. And it was knowable. Because I had the uh, information every day. And people would call and say, you, you know, you, you, we forget, but this country went crazy. I mean, uh, uh, what was it? The, the Post uh, put weasel heads on the German and French ambassador because they, they weren't ready to go to war. Um, you know, they had surrender monkeys. Another, it was like a comic book. Yeah. 
Um, and, uh, and and the regular press that we had, I mean, there was there was hardly anybody in the city that was that either was knowledgeable enough, or the the only people who were really on a commercial station that I know of is three people who spoke out against the war, and it was me, um, Phil Donahue was on MSNBC, but they fired him. Yeah. They fired Phil Donahue, yeah, right. and um, and Ron Kuby. And Ron Kuby, whenever he would argue with Curtis, they did a morning show called Curtis and Kuby. Yeah. The program director would would send Kuby home so that Curtis Lee could have the whole show to himself and, and stop the BS. Yeah. So my father called me and said, can't you be for this war a little bit? I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like vitriolic. I wasn't calling people Nazis. I wasn't, you know going off the edge. All I was doing was telling people the information that I had found by looking at the European press, by looking at um, uh, the alternative sources of news rather than, you know, the, the television and talk radio. Because it was all there. It was all there. And um, my father said, can't you be for this war a little bit? You know, you're going to get fired from your job. Well, once the war started, uh, I lasted a week, and they fired me there. Oh, so, man. And you know what? To me, that was that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of in my career was that I had the guts for eight months to remain on the air, be called a terrorist, a friend of terrorists, you know, um, anti-American, a traitor, whatever. But there were always people who would come up to me on the street and said, "Thank God you're there because I, I think this, I think this country's gone crazy." I, you know, there's no, there was no place to even find. Even Howard Stern was, you know, for starting the war. You know, there was there was there was nothing. It was it was like a mass hysteria. I think it was post traumatic stress from nine eleven. Got to find. We got to get somebody. We can't get Bin Laden. Let's get somebody, you know? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, you know, uh, somebody punches you in the nose and runs away, and then afterwards you go, God, I just... Somebody will come up and you'll get in a minor argument, you want to punch that person just to get even, you know? Yeah, just to get a little retaliation, yeah. So anyway, that's pretty much my story. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any final... No, I was going to ask you too, um, this is going off the subject though, but... Um, how did you get involved in the film Bruno? How did that come about? Oh, yeah, that's not off the topic. It's pretty much on topic. Mm -hmm. I got a phone call one day, and these people told me, oh, we're a production company, and we think that the Richard Bay show would uh, be very popular, especially in Europe. Uh, you know, things have changed. We'd like to bring back the Richard Bay show. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested in hosting the show again? And I said... Well, I guess. <laughs> I wasn't sure much at the time, so I said, okay. And they said, we're going to send you a non-disclosure agreement because we have ideas about the show and you have to you have to keep it under wraps. So they sent me the non-disclosure agreement. I signed it, and then they said, well, actually, there's no show, but now that you've signed the non-disclosure agreement, have you ever heard of Sasha Baron Cohen? And I said, oh, my God, I've been a fan for years. You know, I, I watched Ali G when it was a British show. Yeah. That's how far back in Borat, of course. So they said, well, we'd like you to do, uh, uh, you know, the Richard Bay show um, for the new movie Bruno. Do you know the character Bruno? And I said, of course. Yeah, I've seen it all. I've seen all of his impersonations. And um, they flew me to Dallas, and we did the show three different ways. We did it with a, a pretty much a, regular standard audience. We did it with an all-black audience, and we did it with a, a sort of gun-toting, born-again, um, <laughs> you know, Bible-thumping <laughs> Southern audience. And, you know, each of them had something good. I mean, there's some great stuff that didn't, that we, you know, because and the other thing was, was that we did it like a real show. So when the audience came in, the show was called Unusual Parenting, and uh, now this clock is going to chime ten, I think. Um, 
so you know we had um, uh, a, a Wiccan who was raising his kid to be a witch, and we had a, a guy who was arguing with his wife because she was a stripper, and they didn't want their daughter to find out. Uh, and then finally, we would bring on Bruno. Yeah. So it actually you didn't see that in the film, but for the audience, it really felt like a, a, a real talk show, you know. And I started it all off. I mean, they were just to toot my own horn. They were lucky to have me because the start, the, they had just had an incident in Texas. We were shooting this in Dallas, where the state of Texas had come into the Mormon compound and taken all the children away because they said they were being abused. And they were 14 or 15 year old girls, I think, who were marrying 50, 60 year old men. <clears throat> So, and there was a big uproar about this. I said to the audience, we went over the story. I said, uh, how many of you think that the state has a right to come in and take children away from their parents when they're, you know, when they're raising them in a way that the state thinks is wrong? Not that they're, you know, hitting them or abusing them. Does the state have the right? So half the audience felt, yes, the state had the right. Half the audience said, Parents should be allowed to raise their kids any way they wanted. But of course, when they saw Bruno, they changed their mind, even those people changed their mind. Um, so yeah, they set it up. They even had the guys with Richard Bayshow t-shirts on. And the director, you know, the director of the movie was a, a guy named Larry Charles, who had done Seinfeld. Yeah. But the director for the TV segment was Maury Povich's director. Wow. So they had a t so they had a TV segment director and then Larry Charles, um, I think that's his name, Larry Charles. He was, uh, he, you know, he was watching everything on the monitor. And to Sasha Baron Cohen, I didn't, I didn't meet him out of the character of Bruno until the whole thing was over, and he came up and said thank you. But you know, he looked like his head was going to blow off. He was. So intense and so concentrated, and you know, I guess he had he had just done three shows too, which were been staying in character all that time. It it probably you know takes some kind of toll, but you know, I, I out of character, I I spoke to him from less than five minutes, so and then I was back to New York. How was the audience reaction? Like, you know, from the movie, it was priceless, but, you know, you was there, so how was it actually doing that with the whole oh, stunt? <laughs> it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, they reacted. Half of them started walking out. And <laughs> some of the other audiences, one guy said, uh, um, I, I, said I came up and I said, do you have a question? And he said, I don't have a question, but Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson does, and he patted his gun, and, you know, another, another show, one of the women from the audience came up on the stage and started talking in tongues and trying to lay hands on him, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, every, every, every single show had something in it, you know, that was interesting. <laughs> Well, yeah, that was so priceless, you know. I was like, Richard Bay on screen? What's going on here? <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I still get residuals. <laughs> How much is the residuals, I can, if I can ask? Not much, not much. <laughs> they, were big, they were big the first year or two, but they were a couple of grand. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty nice. That's pretty nice, you know. And, it, and, and you know, it's on Netflix, too, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I mean, I, when I was 21, I, I did a movie with Clint Eastwood that I was completely cut out of, and I still get residuals from that. Oh. I get about $100 a year from that. Well, what was the movie with Clint Eastwood? Magnum Force. But I was completely, I worked for a week on it, but I was completely cut out. Oh, wow. Was, you, oh, it was terrible. You was in a Dirty Harry Callahan movie? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I got to work with Clint Eastwood, David, so... But like I said, when the movie came out, yeah. my scene isn't in it, so don't go looking for me. Oh. Unless they do the uh, director's cut someday, yeah. you know? Do you, do you remember the scene you was in, or you have no recollection, or...? 
Oh, of course I remember it. I was a, I was a, a hippie kid. <laughs> we shot it in San Francisco. I was on a double date with my friend who was black. Yeah. We get jumped by two racists. Um, and uh, because my, my black friend is dating a white girl. Um, but I'm a hippie, so I run away. And David Soul comes, beats up one of the guys, and Clint Eastwood walks up, is drinking a beer, and smashes the beer in the guy's face. And then my friend is lying on the ground, and he's dead, and then my lines are, oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe this. He's got a heart condition. They killed him. They killed him. I hate violence. <laughs> and then Clint Eastwood looks at that there's a crowd gathering around us. You kids, you hate violence. But if you stood up to it once in a while, things like this wouldn't happen. What are you going to learn? What are you going to learn? And the people in the crowd start murmuring and murmuring, and then there's a big crane shot pulling away as I'm sobbing. We're, we're trying to sob on this. 20th take. <laughs> and that's the scene that is missing from Magnum Force. Oh, man, that's classic, man. Wow. Who knows? Who they, if they definitely do a director's cut, I would definitely love to see that. Wow. That's oh, that would be fun. It would be fun to see me, but I'm sure I, right after that, that's when I applied to Yale Drama School. I said, God, if I'm going to do this for the rest of my I thought I was going to be an actor, you know, which I was for 10 years. I better yeah. learn how to do this. <laughs> I wasn't very good. <laughs> is there any other? Is there is there any other movies that you're in that? Yeah, there's George Washington, the miniseries. Yeah. I play, um, I don't know, some kind of lieutenant colonel that puts down the whiskey rebellion or Shay's rebellion or something. I, you know, I've got a couple of lines in that. Yeah. What else? Well, I have a short that's online somewhere. Uh, it's a short film that I did where I play a priest. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, that's, I think that's pretty much my film career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Richard, before I let you go, because I know you have to go, I just want to ask you just a couple of random questions. Um, are, are you a movie watcher yourself? or? Yeah, I watch movies. All right, what do you think about the Robert Downey Jr. contract with the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the, you know, for the continuation of... His movies and Marvel. Are you familiar with that situation? Or, well, I saw Iron Man, but I, and I know in the Avengers he was the highest, uh, you know, the highest paid actor in that bunch. But listen, what that guy's been through, you know, he deserves everything he can get. You know, he was yeah. raped in prison and he was drugged up for a good part of his life, and uh, you know, yeah, and he's, you know, he does the job, so I'm not. Fine, good for him. But I did, you know, here's a funny story when I was talking about Marvel. Yeah. I was a big, big Marvel fan. I had the first Fantastic Four. I had the first copies of Spider-Man and X-Men and everything. And I, I, I don't remember, what was it, 62 or 63 something. So I must have been pretty young. But it was a few years after that. Maybe I was 13 or 14. Stan Lee used to have a listed number. And my brother and I, one night, I looked it up, and I said, it was in the phone book. And I said, oh, my God, look, Stan Lee is in here. And I called Stan Lee, and I said, and he, I said, hello? And I said, is this Stan Lee? And he said, yes. And I said, you're Stan Lee from <laughs> Spider-Man? And he goes, yeah, that's me. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> you didn't even know what to say you didn't even continue the conversation you just hung up <laughs> I was a kid and I was like blown away that he was on the phone with me and I was going oh my god this is like a maybe this is like a phony phone call and I'll get arrested or something yeah. I don't want to bother him you know Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you know oh man <laughs> and, uh, Richard another thing uh, is there any shows that you watch now or you're not really following anything on TV, you know, like there's the Gotham series, there's the Walking Dead, there's anything you're into now? Well, I tend to watch cable. 
old miniseries, a lot of them. Of course, I watch Walking Dead, and I watch uh, very much probably more of, uh, what are, uh, Orphan Black was great. Yes, oh. Ta- if, Did you ever watch that? Yes, I watched that show religiously. Uh, it's, it's a shame that Tatiana Maslany cannot win an award, you know. Oh, my God, show. she is so terrific. Yes. Oh, she is just great. And they kept it going for the set. When the second season began, I went, ah, they're bringing in this Christian group. Ah, this is gonna, really going to go. But you know what? It helps all the way through the second season. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How, yeah, I don't, the way she does it with all the characters, you know, um, Kasima and... and um, oh, unbelievable. She's terrific. Yeah, great actress. She's terrific. So, Orphan Black, I mean, there was some Game of Thrones, of course, you know, um... Breaking Bad, I watched all the way through. I watched, uh, there was something called The Honorable Woman that was on Sundance. That was just fabulous with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I'm in Florida. That's what I do. That's I'm, in fact, right now I'm going to probably, I have it all on my DVR. I, I'm only up to like the third episode on The Strain. Oh. I'm probably going to work my way through that. Yeah, the strain is really good. It's it it gets really intense towards the last episodes, but you know, it, I, I already got picked up for a second season. But wait till you see it; it's an awesome show. Okay, great. <laughs> well, you know, um, thank you so much, Richard, for giving me this interview. Um, is there anything you want to plug out there, or anything you want? Uh, no, no, <laughs> just have good memories. Remember me fondly. <laughs> It was good talking to you, too. Thanks for being uh, so kind to remember. No, 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 no. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this remembers you and remembers Mr. Puniverse, remembers, you know, the radio show, remembers, you know, I guess, you know, see me. You know, I'm up in New York once, uh, you know, I come up, uh, you know, 10, 12 days a month. And when I go to New York, I just walk through the streets and some people come up and go, Richard, you're the best. Oh, Richard, I love you, you know. It's, it is it is great. I, it doesn't happen in Florida, but it happens when I'm in uh, New York City. So, oh. you know, I, but but um, didn't the Richard Bay show reach to Florida, or it was it was just 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 local? Oh, it was on in Florida. It was on in Florida, but it was on much longer. You know, it was nationally syndicated. Yeah, it was on the Richard Bay show itself was on in New York and LA for five years, but yeah. they had a slow rollout, so it was on in different cities in the years afterwards. In some cities, it was only on for two years. Uh, are, you, are you still in contact with the um, executive producers of your show, like Bob Woodruff and David Sitfield, or? Bob, Bob Woodruff is dead. Oh, oh, my uh, God, that, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. Yeah, and yeah, David yeah. Sitfield's in L.A. When I, last time I was in L.A., we got together and hung out. Um, but, uh, you know, on uh, Christine... Um, Dale is was a producer, and I I see her on mostly on Facebook. Adam Brower. Um, there was a piece if you if you type up um, Richard Bay, New York Observer, yeah. they did a piece on me in 2009, and they have my other producers in there. So after that, we we, we all started uh, talking again. Here uh, we caught up, you know. Yeah. And I see Dusty. I mean, you know. It'll be great to have a reunion someday. Yeah. Whatever uh, happened to um um Ellen Linder? Was she a producer on your show, or it was? I think it was the Howard Stern show, I believe. Right? She was a producer on. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't on my show, as I remember. No. Oh, okay. Okay. But Walter. Walter is on Facebook. Walter, the sound guy. He's yeah. on it. Vinny <laughs> was the stage manager. I see him. You know, uh, we we've had dinner in New York. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we all have very fun memories. Oh, are you it coming? It was a gas. So are you coming out to New York anytime soon this this year? Or? Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah. I was just there. That's why I said call me after the fifteenth. Oh man! <laughs> Next time you come back to New York, man, we got to do lunch or something. We got to hang out. All right, sure, sure. That'd be cool. You know? Yeah, I just left. I um, I was there from the fourth uh, to the fifteenth. Oh man, where 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 was you at exactly in New York though? It was uh, like upstate or? No, no, I was staying on ninety first and second. Um, oh my God, I was uh, we're like right, I was right uh, across town bus away from you. <laughs> that's right, that's right. 
Uh, well, well, next time, next time you come to the city, we'll, we'll hook up, and um, definitely, I would love to have you back again on the show, and uh, we can talk. Right. Some lunch is on me. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's that sounds great. We'll go to Roof Chris Steakhouse, and we'll have a nice big juicy. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. All right, Richard. Have a good night, man. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.